Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Welcome, SPC Nation, to the Grand Centennial. That's right, it is the 100th episode. Can you believe it? And they said we wouldn't last. The 100th episode of the Second Print Comics Podcast. And, of course, I couldn't do this alone. I have not done this alone. I've done this along with my partner in comic book crime, who is, of course, with me here today, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, happy 100. Can you believe we started this during the end of the world a few years ago? Time flies when you're talking comics. That's why I didn't think we'd have to do this many episodes. <laughs> jokes on me. We have come a long way. I, I calculated the, the math mark, and being a, a C-average math student, don't take my word for it, but we've completed over 300 hours when you also include the Patreon content, 300 oh, yeah. hours of second print comics. And that's not even including the time we prep, you know, the reading no. of all these stories, uh, me reading the ultimate entire run of Ultimate Fantastic Four and beyond that I just did for our, our patrons over patreon.com slash secondprintpod, where you get all of our bonus content including what Mark missed, including a new show I just started. Have you seen my new show, Renzo? Remzo? What? What? What you doing now? A Are you show. done with Ultimate Fantastic Four, or were you going to go back and reread it now since you've read it once, <laughs> and then you can reread it and get more from it? What if I did a podcast where I it's just called The Ultimate Fantastic Forecast, and I just read it in a loop, and then I go back to the beginning every time? That sounds like a different layer of hell. There's actually a podcast. Uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, but it's, I like the concept, although I, I can't say I keep keep up with it regularly, but they they watch every Fast and Furious movie in order and talk about it and review them. And then when they're done, they go back to the first and they start over. <laughs> I don't have that level of dedication for anything. And neither do I. There, there is something I respect about the concept. But um, yeah, so with Ultimate Fantastic Four, I have finished that and I'm in that series. So that, that's on the show called What Mark Missed, which is specifically where I, I pretty much just look into runs that you recommend me from my dark period where I wasn't really reading comics about 2002 to 2012-ish range. So that's all stuff from there and they all, pretty much everything Ultimate falls into that. So I'm going to continue that series by now going over to the Ultimates series, which I'm about halfway through the first series. So that'll probably be the next piece up on that show. But I also dropped a brand new show because I just can't get enough of this. I can't, just can't talk enough. Just can't get enough. Uh, you just can't get enough. Ow, it's called A Case of the Runs. That's right. And it's it's way <laughs> and it's way more fun than it sounds. This is where I just read a gigantic run of some creator on some book or another and the twist is I'm reading huge runs. I think what I read here was almost 50 issues between everything. But the, the key is I'm summarizing it and reviewing it in less than 10 minutes. So that's the key. So I take up a lot of time to basically, by the end of that 10 minutes, recommend the run or not. Basically, it, it's thumbs up, thumbs down here. Uh, so I won't spoil what I if I recommend it or not. But the, the first run I looked at is Scott Snyder's Justice League run, uh, which I believe was basically 20 much. Uh, I want to say 2020 to 2022. Basically, he was or when, when was Death Metal? I lose track of all this stuff. It was around 2019. So maybe this is 2018 to 2020. Yeah, 2018, run. 2020. Yeah, it was around that. 
It was after it was after Rebirth. It's based yes, it, well, not right after. It's basically bookended by metal and death metal. So so he does metal, then gotcha. he takes over Justice League with a number one, 39 issues of that, and then bookended by uh, by death metal. So it, it's quite a run, and I'm not going to say anything more about it because you, you got to pay you got to pay for that. That that's just how it goes. And speaking of which, folks, remember the only reason why we've been able to keep going so long is because of your generosity and support over on Patreon for as little as five dollars a month. You get all the shows that Mark just mentioned, including so much more. We do private Zoom calls with our patrons. Um, we've got you know I, I'm looking at the stack in front of me. We've got hardcover graphic novels we send out to our epic crossover level patrons and above at another level you can go ahead and produce an episode of the show we've got so many different ways for you to engage with spc as well as join the active and awesome community over in the second brick comics fan zone our private facebook group on facebook i want to go ahead and give a shout out to the people that have really um, helped us get to this point i'm going to go ahead and read off the names of just some of our patrons who have really helped us out so nolan harris fernando jr um bruce chad i don't know who Washington State of Liberty is, but you're awesome too. Uh, we've got Mr. Fitter, Joe ha- Joy- Joe Hoyer. I'm screwing up names and they're gone. Subscribe because of this. Justin Campbell, Jeffrey Greek, Maurice Jones, Brian Nichols, Derek Gordon, Ben Boychuk, Shane Kiss, my Uncle Brody, Weird Science. You know who that is? Break the Bell, Sean Zern or Sean Z. Shang-Chi, let's call him that. Paul, Derek, Kyle, Brandon, Russ, Eric, and Anthony. Um, all of you have really helped us so much over the past couple of years. You've helped us reach this 100th episode. Uh, we hope we can continue to impress, digress, and uh, keep it going. You know what I take from this list, Remzo? What? That our community is fantastic. It's amazing. It's a great place to talk about comics. It's just not a good place to meet girls. <laughs> <laughs> no we lost our one girl we literally had one so that's the one thing that we don't necessarily offer but if you do find one she may be the one so there, there still may be hope uh, for all of you out there if you hate women and want to go to a place with only dudes we've got you covered there too that's why we're here did you mention paul because maybe paul's washington state of liberty We've got possible? another Paul. Do we have multiple Pauls? We've got multiple Derek's. Oh, geez, I don't know anymore. A couple Sean's. All right. Well, let's not dig our holes. Guys, got some how, funny names. How much we know our patrons uh, any further? But thank you. Point being, thank you to everyone. Not just our patrons, though. I mean, if you are, even if this is your first episode, if you are just a casual listener of the show, every download, every click, every time you've shared the show, every listen, that all really matters to us because we do this uh, really for the joy of it and for bringing joy to others. I know we've both gotten a lot of letters and, and messages from people that say we really help them through a lot of tar- hard times, especially during, I guess, the the heat of the par- the pandemic, you might say, uh, when a lot of people told us, you know, like, th- this is one of the things that kept them going, like renewing their interest in comics, uh, having an escape from everything that's going on in the world. And I know that for us, you know, comics has always been a, an escape. It kind of is for everybody. But this podcast has been an escape, uh, you know, and for us as well. Uh, you know, I know where you and I are both kind of involved in, I guess, you could say more serious discussions uh, than we typically have here. So it's nice to come here. And, you know, even if I have to go on a rant against Eric Larson once in a while. It's nice to come here and just sort of not think about all that other stuff and just, you know, talk about the fun of, of talking about comics. Yeah. So throw away the suicide hotline number on your phone mm-hmm. and donate to patreon.com slash second yep. prize. You do not need that number. You just need, just need to join you our You just Patreon. need us. You just need all of our attention. But uh, speaking of that Zoom call, that's what one we do for our journey into mystery members and above. On last week's Zoom call, we made a little announcement to those people. So now we will share 
share it with you. After much deliberation, we have decided to somewhat expand this show. Uh, you know, as you guys know that, that have been longtime fans, we have tried to find ways as the show has gone on to work in um, our discussions about current comics, pop culture. Um, and that stuff gets a great response when we do it, especially when we do our movie reviews. Those are always the most high, highest downloaded. And even when our within our Patreon group, like over in, on Facebook, the Second Print Comics Fan Zone, which is our little community for patrons there, people are always kind of asking our opinions about modern comics and the latest news of the day. So it, it's pretty become really clear to us that that aspect of what we talk about is, is a very important part of the show. Um, but it was also wedging a little into the original concept of the show, which was really that we were going to more talk about um, back issues and like the you know stories we grew up with um, and kind of look back at, at older stories, not necessarily looking at the new stuff at all. So rather than choose one or the other, rather than pick a baby, I guess you could say uh, to keep, we're going to, we're going to keep both the babies, Remzo. We're, we're actually going to incorporate our look at um, pop culture, the comics we're reading and that sort of thing into a new weekly show that will air on Fridays. Now I will say we are going to make an effort we're, we know that time is valuable. It's valuable for us too. So we are going to really make an effort to truncate the main show a little bit, maybe just cut down on a little of the chitter chatter. Uh, I know we often do very, very detailed deep dives, even going panel to panel at sometimes we're going to probably do a little less of that and a little more general recapping and general thoughts. So we're going to be experimenting a little bit. And as always very open to your feedback, uh, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram at second print pod, we are everywhere. Uh, or you want to reach out to us some other way. We still have the, the email second print, uh, second print pod at gmail.com. Yeah. So you can also send us emails, whatever you like. We're always going to continue to evolve and shape this uh, show around basically what our fans, what our listeners, and, and of course, most importantly, our patrons uh, kind of want from us. Yeah. So don't worry, folks. Have no fear. We're not aborting it. That was just a uh, Remsa's attempt to say topical. Um, As he takes a sip of water and almost spits it back but out. We will, what we will not discuss ah. is the ethics of what, what would have happened were we to decide to do that. But we're not doing that. We're keeping it. We're keeping everything. Um, so yeah, look for that on Friday. Hashtag can... do we abort baby Thanos? <laughs> oh, that is a that is a discussion to have. Maybe that's uh, episode one hundred and one. War Machine goes back in time with the coat hanger. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> that, I need the gong right there. I think. <laughs> Gong. <laughs> yeah. So look at look for your main SPC show. You might say to continue with episode 101, where we'll go back to uh, more of our standard format, looking at specific stories. We're going to try to try to look at some kind of more obscure things, some weirder things, uh, some of the odder items that uh, appear in our comic book uh, skeleton closet, whatever it may be. Uh, so it should be pretty fun. It will be fun. It's always fun. But then on Fridays, the unnamed show, we actually have a poll in our Patreon right now. Just another uh, reason to be a patron. You can actually voice your opinion on what this show should be called. There are a few options out there. We're floating around. We're just going to leave it open for now. Um, you will know when it appears in your feed. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything coming your way from SBC. That being said, Remzo, we're going to do a little something different today. Since we're going to go back to format next week, we're going to continue sort of breaking from our format in our little uh, summer of comic book fun here. And since this has been kind of a, a reflective episode already, that's what we're going to continue to do. We are going to reflect on the past, the last 100 episodes of Second Print Comics. We're going to look at the best. We're going to look at the worst. We're going to look at the weird. We're going to just kind of look back on all of it and... I don't know. We didn't really discuss where to start. Should we start with the best or the worst? I feel like the worst is a, a little more. It's not a more interesting conversation. Maybe, maybe it's best we tackle it. That, that's a that, that's a little juicy. We should we should jump on the first. Just kind of you know lay it lay it down nicely. The so first? then we can is that start. What you were calling the worst. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> we 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 should start with the best. So the then best. when we get to the worst, which is obviously going to be somebody's favorites, then we can bludgeon it. I'm not sure the worst of ours will be anybody's favorites. If they are, I'd like to meet them and have them 
analyzed. Oh, we, you know what? You know what? Let's just go ahead and start with the worst. Okay. <laughs> See, folks, live deliberation. You only get it here. Yeah, that's another nice thing about this podcast. Our production meetings occur on air. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, the, so the worst now I do have a list of like six that are the best plus three runners up the worst, you know, I, I, well, actually I did end up with a list of five, but I think there are two that stand out more than others. So our goal at the end of this podcast is to rank all of these like worst and best, just like a top. We can, yeah, we have enough. We can do a top, bo- a top five and a bottom five. So why don't we start? And we're just going to kind of deliberate and decide amongst ourselves where these should all land. But first, in no particular order, I'm just going to give you our worst rated uh, stories that we have read. At the, these are basically the totals of my score and Remzo's score from each episode out of 10. As you know, we always do five for the art, five for the writing. And um, yeah, if you're new, that's how we do it. If you're not new, then I'm not telling you anything new. But the... Uh, not the worst, but the first worst story we looked at was the first worst. First worst was back in episode number 14. This is the first time I think we actively or you actively chose a story that you knew would not be good. Um, but this is a story called Battle Scars. Remzo, can you sum up Battle Scars in 30 seconds or less? You can probably do it in five. If you liked white Nick Fury, guess what? We're getting rid of him. We're replacing with black Nick Fury, but not the fun, cool Samuel Jackson Nick Fury we all love. No, we're replacing him with his dumb watered down version from the Marvel 616 in a story called Battle Scars. Why isn't it important? Why don't you remember it? Because everyone hopes you forgot about it. That was basically the juxtaposition between this story. It meant to be something great, but everyone knew it was so bad it was best left forgotten. Still, for canon's sake, it's around, but no one cares. That's Battle Scars in 30 seconds. All right, not bad. I think we'll, I, th- I like this format. I'll try to do 30 second recaps of everything here. We can we can kind of take turns. So another one. Th- this was this was painful. Like that's the one comment I'll make just up front. Like that was the most that was one of the most painful books to get through. It was about four or five issues. The art was all over the place. I mean, it was really the first time Mark I ever heard you say, "Can we get this over with soon?" <laughs> it, it was tough, but not the most painful. But we'll get there. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, it'll be easy to rank these based on our rankings, but then the end we'll, we'll have a little, maybe, maybe a little bit of discussion in what is our, our true worst. Um, but well, I don't think that I actually, I don't think there's gonna be any discussion. So I'll, I'll save the worst rating for the last actually, since I think it's going to become pretty obvious. So that had an SBC total battle scars, by the way, by the way, the most amazing thing about battle scars, it's written by has three writers credited. And at least two of them are pretty good writers. Uh, the three writers credited for this fucking series are Christopher Yost Colin Bunn, who's normally decent, and Matt Fraction, who's normally fantastic. So I, I'm guessing they didn't really do much of the writing in this. They're just credited for they, some they reason. Begged, they begged Matt Fraction to put his name on there so they could trick people <laughs> into buying it. I, I don't believe he actually had any say in this. That's like what they did with, that's how they tricked me into reading uh, Ram V's uh, Venom series by calling it Al Ewing's Venom series. And then they're like, <laughs> oh, well, actually what it is, it's a collaboration in which Al Ewing does 2% of it. Ah, amazing. But anyway, Beautiful. you'll hear more of our hot takes on current comics on the yet to be named forthcoming Friday show. But nonetheless, uh, this received from, from each of us, this received a six. Uh, no, I'm sorry. No, this is actually worse than I thought. From each of us, this series received a three, a total. So between the art and the writing, you gave it a three. Between the art and the writing, I gave it a three for a grand SPC total of six. And the craziest part about this, it is, it is not the lowest score that we're going to hear today. No, but it certainly set the standard. It certainly did set the standard. And that, 
just to, to get into it a little more, I guess we'll just discuss each story as I bring them up. But um, this is not good. This is a nonsensical, <laughs> um, just convoluted way to shoehorn a brand new Sam Jackson looking Nick Fury to match the um, the Nick Fury of the MCU. And it was done in the dumbest way possible where Nick Fury had a kid with some chick, obviously a black woman 30 years ago. And th- this kid somehow becomes not just becomes a shield agent by the end of the story. That would be actually ridiculous already. He doesn't just become a shield agent. He becomes the actual head of shield and replaces Nick Fury, the other Nick Fury and takes his name who he didn't have before. Cause he had never fucking met this guy until this series. But by the end of it, not only has he met his, his estranged father, he's named himself after him, lost his eye because of him and taken over the organization that he was previously heading. Not only that, if you had to shoe in something else ridiculous, we also got the uh, Marvel comics version of Phil Coulson introduced because why the fuck not? To top it all off, the art sucked too. The art was like actively bad by this guy, Scott George Eaton. It was actively bad. So sometimes a good story will be raised up by like, hey, at least had pretty pictures. There were no pretty pictures here. There was just a bunch of nonsense. That is my review of Battle Scars, which I still cannot believe is not going to be our lowest ranked story. Sad. Sad. Very sad. So moving on. Um, so this one actually aired before battle scars, but it, I wouldn't say it was the first bad story we chose. Cause we didn't intend to choose a bad story. I was still trying to choose things that I had fondly remembered. I had higher hopes for this. one. I had much higher hopes. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the length of it. If this was six issues, this might've been good. However, it was not, it was 14. And that is a crossover from Marvel known as maximum carnage, which was huge in the nineties. Um, why don't I take this one since uh, I let you Please. take the last one? 30 seconds summary of maximum carnage go. So uh, yeah, there's this symbiote that you all know called venom. There's a little baby that came from him called carnage who attached himself to this killer. Cletus Cassidy. He's crazy. Uh, he murders people. He gets put in jail. He breaks out of jail. And when he breaks out of jail, he does so with friends, including shriek and a bunch of other random nonsense. I think Demo goblin was one of them. Nonsense. Spider-Man like D level villains who all just wreak havoc on New York city until they are stopped by Spider-Man venom and, and a cohort of their equally, D-level friends, including Deathlock, and let's be honest, he is D-level Morbius. It was not Morbin time in this case. This was a drag of a story. Again, a story that had some that had some decent art here and there. Uh, a lot of it, the best art being from uh, Mark Bagley, I would say. Um, but it sucks. <laughs> it made it such a drag when you're reading all 14 epi- uh, episodes. Damn it! I really thought I could do it for ever episode 100. It wouldn't be an episode if you weren't doing that. It would not, but, um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on maximum carnage, which, well, I know your thoughts, your thoughts were that it was only worthy of a grand total of a five, which is also what it got from me. Uh, a fuck you five, if you will, a grand total score of a 10 for maximum carnage. It's kind of like a drunk one night stand. You think you enjoyed it until you start going through the text messages and you see the photo and your friends are like, are you sure you liked it that much? <laughs> then as the memories come it's back, the perfect analogy with shame, that is maximum carnage. I, I genuinely didn't, didn't hate it up until we did that episode. And then it was like by issue six, I was like, God, is this, is this happening? Like, are we doing this? Like, is it really this bad? And sometimes, Sometimes nostalgia gets the best of us, mm. but we, we quickly put that to bed. 
And I think Maximum Carnage suffered from the problem that a lot of multi-writer stories suffer from. It's just, it's hard, and it's trying to tell a consistent linear tale, or linear, as Remzo would say, across across a number of different books. I think actually five books it was across, because they also invented this Spider-Man Unlimited book to bookend it. So there's five different books with different creative teams. Uh, some of them overlapped, but they're trying to tell a cohesive story. And I guess it was cohesive in the sense that it went chronologically, but it didn't feel like a cohesive story. And it re- really was the same story recycled a number of times. Spider-Man and Venom have friends. They all fight each other. They go back and recover. Then they fight again. And then they recover again. And we do this like five times until the final battle. It's not like the story progresses in any really unique or different way. It's all the same story. It's just let's stop Carnage. Oh my God, we've been overwhelmed. Let's go out and regroup. Let's stop Carnage again. Didn't work this time. Let's do it again. And that could work work for a six issue series. I think this is, could be an amazing, fun, really exciting six issue miniseries. Instead, it is a 14 issue drag, just draking readers over the coals with the same battle scenes over and over and over until it grinds to a merciful halt. And that is why I got a collective 10 R, which I will say is our, well, it's going to be tied. It'll be tied for the third worst ranked uh, story that we have looked at. Any other thoughts you'd like to uh, dissect on Maximum Carnage? I mean, the, the video game is good at least, and we've gotten some other stories that have been inspired by it. You know, sometimes you need to take a shit outside to grow a flower. Okay. I don't, not sure if I know what that means. That that sounded so much. That sounded so much better because get it fertilizer is shit, right? I, I got it. <laughs> it's not a matter of getting it. Do I need to explain that? <laughs> it's a matter of it being funny or not. But anyway, moving along. We're gonna look at another story here. I just this Amber is, herded this whole thing. <laughs> this is a story that uh, our good friend Eric actually. I was surprised it made this list, and it just squeaked in. And I thought about not even mentioning it. But it did actually squeak into the technically the bottom five. Every other story we've looked at has been 11.5 or higher total. This story uh, sneaked into this bottom five by landing at a grand total of 11 from two of us. This is actually quite a classic. Uh, it's, a, it's a stretch from a classic X-Men run from Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum. This is now this now granted we look at like nine issues here. And it's, you know, the Phoenix story is the background to a lot of it, but a lot of them just go in a bunch of different places. But this is the Phoenix saga, not to be confused with the Dark Dark Phoenix saga, which we uh, did rank quite a bit higher. But this was the Phoenix saga, which I believe is, I want to say X-Men 101 to like 109, which introduces the the regular non-Dark Phoenix character. Ramzo, can you do this in 30 seconds or less? Do you like leprechauns? They are in here. Do you like Magneto, who's not transformed into a baby? He's in here, too. Do you like uh, intergalactic space ladies who come down and try and fuck cripples who have psychic powers? That happens. A lot of things happen. A lot of strange things happen. A lot of things that even the X-Men don't understand happen. That's the Phoenix saga. That, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think a lot happens and I don't remember how it all really connected. I just know that it happened and somehow... Well, it wasn't really connected as the whole thing. I mean, really, Jean Grey was just recovering for like eight for like, yeah, like eight issues while the other X-Men did a bunch of random stuff. And, you know, I don't know. It's it's now marketed as the Phoenix Saga. At the time, they weren't calling this an eight issue story. So maybe I shouldn't be too hard on the fact that it wasn't 
Like it didn't. It was a series Marvel of stories. Marvel needed to sell some extra graphic novels. It seems they did, and they got. And I mean, they they did put a lot of stuff into this. I mean, we also saw the return. We, we saw the return of the Juggernaut in this. The return of Adult Magneto in this, and all centered around the introduction of the the Jean Grey as the Phoenix. So there's a lot that happens. There's a lot that occurs. It's just that it's actually just not as good as you think it should be. I guess is the problem. And Dave Cochram's art was fine, but. It was fine by kind of seventies standards, and and even I, then it was not exactly. anything phenomenal. Or I guess it's technically the eighties. Think this is nineteen eighty, but yeah, it was just not up to par with the classic X Men of the old. The later stuff with Chris Claremont, I think, gets a lot better. That's when we will get into Days of Future Past, Dark Phoenix Saga. We rated those stories much higher than this one, so Way certainly not a, a bias against the writer or anything like that. But this one just felt incoherent and just didn't hit. And that you gave it a six, I gave it a five. Grand total of an SBC eleven for the Phoenix Saga. If you like Leprechauns, it's I mean they're there. Other than that. Yeah. Certainly my highlight were the leprechauns that inhabit the mansion that Banshee uh, like inherited or whatever. That, that was definitely the highlight, and I would love to see them come back. I mean, I, I want to do a leprechaun series. Banshee and the leprechauns. Banshee and the leps. Don't say it. Disney will make a Disney Plus spinoff. <laughs> Don't. Like, hold my beer. Uh, so, looking here, again, these are not in the order. So, that would, based on the current numbers that we've heard so far, our lowest rank is still Battle Scars, second worst, Maximum Carnage, worst phoenix saga now i'm gonna bring in another one i'll just spoil it right now this one tied with maximum carnage i'm gonna have some fun with this one this one is called mm. a little story from jonathan hickman art by lionel francis you this is a story called original sin here we go 30 seconds or less original sin is a fucking ridiculous story where uh somehow at the end of it nick fury becomes a new watcher and also kills the watcher by the way he's alive again because comics uh takes his eye and 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 these these secrets get revealed to all these different you know characters in the marvel universe Thor's secret. I still forget what his secret was, but he's for some reason he had a secret that he when he when Nick Fury whispered it into his ear, he became not worthy of holding the hammer. And then we got Jane Foster Thor for like a year. A lot of weird stuff happened out of this, but none of it good. And it didn't give us a good story along the way. Uh, it just gave us a, a quite a nonsensical, quite absurd uh, sending off of Nick Fury since this took place after we had garnered the new black Nick Fury. They had to they had to put this Nick Fury off to pasture, so to speak. So that was really, as far as I can tell, the entire purpose of this original sin was to just you know, kind of put him to bed. Of course, he's back too, so that didn't even happen. That's original sin. Yeah. They, had to, they had to take Grandpa out to pasture, and they didn't even succeed at that. No. I mean, I mean... I guess like a four or five year absence is basically as, as permanent as a death can come in, in Marvel comics. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is just, it, I, now I, I was the one that brought this story up because it was one of the first things that I read when I came back to Marvel. And I think even then I was, I was maybe a little blinded like I had not, not that I thought it was great, but I was a little blinded by, Oh, I'm reading comics again. And Oh, there's new stuff here. Like there's so much going on. I don't even know what Nick Fury shoots the watcher. Oh, cool. Like the conceptually things were happening in it. That seemed like interesting ideas for characters that I had known, you know, 20 years ago. But when I went back and read it with you and went through this, it, it just hit me how, how blinded I was to even think it was remotely good. I mean, just, it just was not good at all. And that's why it, it found itself, um, you know, even to get, to get a five each is pretty hard, you know, to get, that's how you get that SPC 10. That, that means the writing got no more than a two or three and neither did the art. And oftentimes one will pick up the other. And that's, 
And when one doesn't is when you get these kind of scores. So, so usually we have at least above average art or writing on a story, especially because we're picking these stories out. So technically, you know, in theory, it's like stuff we kind of want to read in the first place. Um, but at the end of the day, sometimes they just fall so short in both categories that they find themselves here on our worst of our worst of SBC list. So that only re- remains one story. So I think before we before I bring up this worst rated story, why don't we try to do a formal ranking here? Because technically we have a tie for the, now the fifth ranked story is Phoenix saga. And then we have a tie between maximum carnage and original sin for the fourth ranked story. I would go back and read original sin like in a, in a, in a, in a second, if given the choice when having to go through that and maximum carnage, at least to its credit, there were some parts of original sin that were kind of funny. Okay. Can you name and, one? And that's about it. It has Rocket Raccoon, which is he was there. Yeah, he was there. I'll give him that. He was there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'd still I, I would rank original sin above maximum carnage. I would say that that's the that's a very solid number four. Despite the fact that they got the same score, they're not the same book. Uh I, I at least felt like we were moving forward with original sin, whereas with Maxim Carnage, it's just like, oh look, it's Groundhog Day. They're doing it again and again and again and again. Yeah, that might be the biggest tiebreaker. And if nothing else, the length, uh the length of the series. Uh again, I think if if Maximum Carnage was six issues, I think I'd have a totally different view on it. If it was six issues by like the Falco and Bagley and, as a and, team, you know? Yeah, and, and just just those two, it would have been a very different, very different book. Yes, absolutely. But it was not a different book. It was this 14 issue maxi crossover. And man, it's hard to think I would read original sin again. And and I wouldn't really, if I could help it, but if I was forced to, I suppose just because of the 14 issues of maximum carnage and that groundhog day, are we really doing this again aspect of it? Whereas, like you said, even when original sin sucks, it's something's happening. That's different than it than happened in two issues earlier. So I guess I will yeah, also forward. I won't fight for it. I will, I will make the nod and give original sin the bump. So that makes maximum carnage our fourth ranked worst, our fourth worst story that makes, I'm sorry. That makes, that yes. makes original sin. Yeah. Makes original sin. Our fourth worst story. Maximum, which is the, carnage. which is the fourth best of the worst. Something like that makes yeah. maximum carnage. Our third worst story or the third best of the worst. Am I doing this right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Battle scars comes in again with a total of six as only our second worst story of all time. And that leaves our worst ranked story. There's really not going to be much to discuss or debate here because the scores pretty much say it all. You were even worse than I was. You gave it a one. I was, which means you gave a zero to, I think it was, I think you gave a zero to the writing and one of the art, if I'm not mistaken. And I gave a one to each. That was, do you want to say it Remzo? Because you're going to do we're a 30 ta- second recap. We're talking about Spider-Man bloodlines. Remember the man who ruined Star Wars? Well, he's back. No, not Rian Johnson. Rian Johnson's bastard stepdad. You, you, you remember J.J. Abrams, but it's not even really J.J. Abrams. It's J.J. Abrams son, Max Abrams, Henry, happens, Henry. But I think, Hen- always, yeah. I think in that show, you called him Max like 10 times. He <laughs> just seems yeah, like a some, Max, some, I guess. some stupid shit like that. He is Henry's. I mean, it's just he, the, 
the whole the whole book is basically what if we got a young Spider-Man to replace old Peter Parker Spider-Man? Feel like you've seen that before a couple of times you have, except this one is shitty. What if we went ahead and had a very realistic, gritty version of Spider-Man? Feel like you've seen that before? Well, guess what? This one is shitty. What if you go ahead and combine it with one of the worst characters Marvel has ever created in its existence, Riri Williams? Well, guess what? It can get so much worse. And do you want to go ahead and slam in some zombies and the Avengers in it? Well, guess what? You get the worst of both. And what about a villain who's so original they thought he might even jump over into the 616 series of Spider-Man and other Marvel books? Well, guess what? It's shitty, and thank God that didn't happen. We're talking Spider-Man Bloodlines by uh, J.J.N. Henry Abrams. And art by Sarah Pacelli, which she needs to be mentioned because her art was terrible. So, so yeah. that, that is why. And man, the fact that this book exists it's only because of J.J. Abrams being J.J. Abrams and saying, my kid, I, who we keep picturing is like eight. No, he's like 20 something when he writes this because it felt like an eight year old wrote it. Uh, my kid Spider-Man, wants to write a comic the nepotism book. saga. Can it be Spider-Man? Like, why couldn't they give him Deathlock? Give him a little Deathlock run. The, the craziest thing about this series, it was not even I don't know if it was marketed as a mini series, but they had the gall to just call it Spider-Man when it first and they only re repackaged it as bloodlines uh, after the fact. Uh, they had the gall to just call this Spider-Man like this is the new Spider-Man book. I mean, stop it. Uh, just just inexcusable. And the, the existence of this book is inexcusable. This isn't even a good Spider-Man story. It's not a good any story. Um, it's a, a, at least I guess the only good thing I can say from it is it takes place in like, you know, this is not in Marvel continuity. It's like an Elseworlds type tale. So thank God I could just say none of this happened, uh, but it did happen. It happened to us and it's been recorded and it's on audio and you can all listen to us talking about it back in episode 45. I should have mentioned the other uh, episodes. I'll, and I'll link to all these in the show notes over at secondprintcomics.com. Uh, Battle Scars was episode 14, Maximum Carnage episode 7, Original Sin episode 52, and The Phoenix Saga episode 40. But with a grand total of a three that is combined. I want to emphasize combined a grand total of a three. Our worst ranked story, Spider-Man motherfucking blood. It's called bloodlines because that's the only reason there that he's right. That Henry's writing this thing, right? It's because of his bloodline. Yeah. Is, is that why it's called that? It's like, I'm not writing this only because of my father, but I kind of am. Right. So now that we have buried the dead, buried the worst of SPC, <laughs> hopefully buried from our memories. We'll see if this exorcism works. Uh, we're going to try to find the top five. I guess it'll be like a top six, actually, because I have we have over the course of SPC history with our with our very, uh, very scientific ranking system where we each do five for art, five for writing, combine them all into our SPC total. There have only been six stories that have achieved the majestic SPC 20. So I'll we'll go through all of these and then you and I are going to try to come to, to a consensus on the true number one. So there might be some debate here. There might not be, but I do want to mention a couple honorable mentions first, because there are three stories we looked at that came very, very close to the 20. So close that I feel like they should be recommended. And it's funny in each case, I think in each case, mm, was I the one that was a little down? I think I was the one that was a little down on, on, on some of them, some of them. A smidge. Not, not all of them. Um, but you gave a 9.5. Yeah. And I, okay. Yeah. Five, four, four. Okay. Cool. So the first story I'm going to bring up here is really one of the most epic comic book crossovers 
of all time. So epic that we had to devote three entire episodes of this podcast to looking at it. Three of our highest downloaded episodes, by the way. So, I mean, I, it's not crazy to say we might do this again. Um, I know there's our, our, a few other DC crisis events that, especially with us trying to do a more truncated version of the show, probably just won't fit into one episode. So it's very possible you'll see another series akin to this as well. But we did cover Crisis on Infinite Earths by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. And... I think this was your fault. I think this was your fault. Uh, I think I gave it a 10. A lot of things are my fault. You have to be way more specific. No, that's not true. We both gave it a 9.5. We both held back just a smidge, just a tiny smidge. I think we both gave George Perez five on the art and we both gave Marv Wolfman a 4.5 on the writing. I think there are maybe the only complaint that either of you or I had is that it's just a little too hard to follow, especially for new readers. And the fact that that only dings it by 0.5 shows you how amazing the story is and how much fun it is and what a fucking blast it is to read. What a blast it is to talk about. Uh, I absolutely love this story, but you know, that, that tiny bit of that Remzo standard of, is this good for new readers? I think it's good in the sense that it's a crazy way to just be thrown into things. But in reality, you would have no fucking idea what's going on if you had never like read a DC comic before. I think that's the only reason that we had it at a 4.5 on the writing each, uh, which brought it to a total SBC score of SBC 19. Remzo, thoughts on Crisis? Do you want to try a 30-second recap? I totally forgot that that new thing. Everybody dies! Everybody dies. And everybody lives? Yeah. And some people end up on one Earth, and some other people end up on another Earth. And... Uh, you get psycho pirate. You've got pariah. You've got ghost tank. You've got a lot of a lot of people coming in and out. It really is a love letter to the DC universe. It really set the standard for giant multiversal events. Um, it there was no way we could have done it in one or even two episodes. We did it last December uh, for a crisis month event, and uh, you all responded to it, not just because we're such amazing hosts, but because it, it really is one of those pinnacle stories, uh, especially since um, uh, it, it was around that time that we learned that George Perez was terminal with his cancer. I'm, you know, even though I'm, you know, we never got to like meet the man or anything, but to have been able to complete that episode while he was still among the among us you hopefully know, he it, heard it hopefully he heard it no Maybe. reason to think we he don't did. know it's, yeah, it's possible it's possible yeah i mean it, it was just it was a little bit special it was more of a solemn episode it felt we should start marketing a, it as the last podcast george Perez listened to oh man <laughs> or is that yeah, going to i don't want to touch that legal in small letters out. we think <laughs> maybe asterisk kind of so you don't know but yeah, I mean, it was um, it, it was a beast. But that is the that's the level of which crisis stands. So yeah, indeed. But yeah, and then I think this is a absolute absolute must read story. If you're a comic fan, you need to read this story. That's why it deserves to be mentioned here in our honorable mention category. And mention it, we have. So moving on. Uh, yeah, so that was an SBC nineteen. Then we have two more honorable mentions. That just almost to the point that I, I kind of feel bad about it because uh, I believe in both of these cases. Is it my fault? In both? I, I had these written down, but then I I, I didn't touch them. I'm, no, I was me. I don't I, touch that. I, I, Excel. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Oh, no, it was entirely me. I, I messed up what I wrote. But I do know for Batman, for this first one, Batman Year One, I was the one that gave it a 4.5. Because of you, again, everything is your fault. Because you always say, could you picture another writer doing this? Another artist right, uh, drawing this? And in this one case, I really wish, I actually really wish that Frank Miller also drew this. Not to yeah. take away from David Azzarelli, because his art's amazing. But when I, we, a story we have not looked at yet, which we will eventually hear, is The Dark Knight Returns. And I really love, that is Miller on Miller action with, with Frank Miller's art. And I love that book. I love the feel of the book. And I kind of just want that same vibe on the bookend of year one. Not to the point that, it, you know, it, look, it's still got a 4.5 for the art. So the art's fantastic. But that's my only minor reason that I had it that it did not make a, a perfect 10, which I feel a little bad about because it's, it's an excellent story. But uh, Batman year one. Here, 30 seconds. Batman year one. Uh, it's Batman's first year. Boom. Bam. <laughs> Done. But Remzo, thoughts on Batman year one? Barely, barely, barely missing the final cut. I, I'm kind of happy that we did this before uh, the Batman came out in theaters, mm. because when you go back to the source material, you, you really do appreciate the fact that comic books have come such a long way. And for them to really be treated as like seminal pieces of pop culture. Um, it, I mean, Batman year one just stands right up there uh, and Batman mythos and comic book mythos. So many non Batman related stories in film and TV uh, have had directors and writers who have said it was Frank Miller's work on this. The Dark Knight uh, Returns, who impacted how they did things. Uh, it, it's just such a if you don't own this in trade back. You've got to add it to your wish list. I mean, this, a lot of these, you know, you need to have. But this one, you can't call yourself a Batman fan without it. I'm sorry. I'm going to set that small barrier. You got to own a trade back version of Batman year one. I would say the same for Crisis. If you're like any kind of comics fans, these are kind of must haves, even though they just missed the, the perfect 20 here. Um, it's really quibbling. I mean, these are really just as good. And if, and, and if they're not just as good as some of the stories we're going to talk about in the very top, they're definitely more classic. And I, I think that's so for historical purposes, I think you that owe them your respect. You owe them your respect. That's a good way to put it. Indeed. Uh, to recap, that was, we talked about Batman year one in episode number 67. Now, one more honorable mention. This one also landed at 19.5. And since I mess up the Excel sheet, I, I forget who is the one who dinged it 0.5. I want to say you because this is an old favorite of mine. So I want to think my nostalgia kind of pumped it up, whereas it was your first uh, viewing. But I'm not sure, to be honest. But either way, this one we looked at in episode 18. Um, it was one of the first like more independent non-Marvel DC books that we looked at. This was the first four issues 
of the Max by Sam Keith came in at 19.5. You want to give a shot at a, at a Max recap? The Max is about a dude who thinks he's a rabbit who hangs out with a chick who's a freelance social worker. We still don't know what that is, and neither do the readers, but we move along with it as they have to struggle between whether or not they're living in the real world or the underworld. What was it called? The the, the down under? The, the outback. outback. It's a wild and wacky story. We did a follow-up to this thanks to one of our patrons in a Patreon-produced episode uh, you, way Jeffrey. later. But, um, I mean, this, what, what I love about this, and, and that was my 30 seconds, what I love about the Max is that this is never a book I would have picked up if you hadn't recommended it. And that's one of the joys of the show. It's recommending stories to each other that we probably wouldn't have touched prior, but, you know, we jump into it and we end up really enjoying them. I became a Max fan after this. I know a lot of our fans who were, um, you know, collecting and reading books in the 90s, such as yourself. This was an episode that's really near and dear to many of their hearts. For a lot of folks like me, this was really their first uh, genuine exposure. And after that, we had folks going out and finding comics in antique stores and comic shops and in in attics and stuff. I mean, this was a magical episode because it really it really forced everyone to really just look at it with fresh eyes, whether they had read it before or not, and just enjoy a great story. Also, one of those uh, what you would call rare circumstances of when uh, a writer and artist does both and you couldn't imagine it any other way and you wouldn't want it any other way. This is Sam Keith's baby. Uh, We reviewed Neil Gaiman's Sandman, which featured Sam Keith's art. And I was surprised because I remember it being and it's still good. Look, Sam Keith is a great artist, but his art and his art on Sandman is very good, too. But his art on the Max is just a whole nother level. And you can tell that it's coming through his creativity. I know he had creative conflicts with Neil Gaiman. Uh, that's why he ended up departing Sandman after the first, like, I think, six issues or so. Uh, but he, you can tell he is in sync with himself, as you might imagine. A lot of these guys are. And it's just it just flows so perfectly. This is his creation. This is his baby. And it really flows through in the art. Some of the more unique art layouts I've ever seen. I mean, just the way sometimes he'll, he'll work in the lettering, into the panels, trip. the sounds. I mean, you have to see this to believe it. Um, this is a book that, if honestly, if you're going to try one you know, non-mainstream, just weird book, um, I, this might be my number one recommendation. If you're just looking for something weird, you know, outside the normal a superhero flair. Uh, I, I can't really recommend much higher and I don't recommend anything much higher because nothing else is ranked higher of that, of that variety than the max. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it was definitely one of those books where I'm like, am I gonna enjoy this? And geez, I did. I definitely did. All right. Well, here's where things get fun. Remzo, because we have six stories that are all tied for first. So our job today, our main task here is to break these down uh, amongst ourselves and decide. Now, these are not the best comic stories of all time. These are not the best anything of all time. These are just the best of the specific issues that we discussed on these shows, to be clear here. So, oh, by the way, Max was... Out of 100 episodes of which we've done, you know, movie reviews and recaps and all this other stuff, uh, to have a majority of the episodes not be 20s, I think a lot of people at the beginning thought everything was going to be like an F or an A if we're using letter grading. You know, for, for, for only six to hit that magic 20 number, that's... I think I think we've done a good job. I like to think so. I certainly like to think so. Uh, actually, before we do this top six, I want to have a little uh, a little break where we give our diamond in the rough, which is 
just a story that we like a lot that wasn't necessarily one of our highest ranked. Maybe it was ranked in the middle of a pack, but it's the one that wasn't ranked in this discussion in the top six or top eight, I guess, or with the, uh, or top nine, I guess, with the, uh, the uh, honorable mentions. Just a story that we like, whether it's a quirky one, a weird one, whatever it may be that we would want to recommend to like maybe newer listeners of the show or people that haven't, uh, you know, read the stories before. So do you want to go first? What's your diamond in the rough? <laughs> <laughs> it's Morbin time. Morbius <laughs> Bond and Blood. Uh, that yeah. was that was just uh I, I I was I was debating between uh this and the episode we did of Ultimate Spider-Man where Spider-Man and Wolverine accidentally swap bodies. Well that one can be both of our honorable mention because that's the other one I was debating, but I didn't end up going with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I might as well throw that there as well. But the, the thing about the Morbius blonde, uh, Bond and Blood one shot was that episode number 76. The episode is called Uncle Morbius is a Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like when I read it the first time, I'm like, oh, this is like a super serious, like noir 70s style Marvel horror book. And then when we redid it again, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a this is a freaking laugh trap. There's so many ridiculous things in that story, the fact that it ever got published is almost as much of a testament to the character, the cult following he has as his own movie that came out for, uh, no, no, I was about to say four months later. It was four months after the episode. This book came out uh, like two years prior to the movie and it was uh, meant to be a movie tie in, which is hilarious. That shows you how, <laughs> how the, how, how the lockdowns and everything really messed with, you know, comics, entertainment and movies and stuff like that. Not that I need to explain it to anybody listening to this, but, um, you know, that was just, it was just such a dumb book. It was a good, happy, fun, dumb book. And sometimes you just need a happy, dumb, fun book on a Sunday afternoon when you've got nothing else to do just to, you know, make you laugh and, you know, look at some pretty decent artwork. And, you know, it it was not a horrible story. It's just that when, (laughs) when, when you're a few glasses of wine in, like you truly was it really uh it really shines in certain areas and in some areas it's just it's it's just fucking dumb it really embraced <laughs> its own camp you know it gave us a campy story <laughs> and it embraced it to the point of absurdity and you know when you get absurd enough you actually become enjoyable so that, i mean we didn't give it a bad score either i think we gave it like we gave it we gave a mid-tier book yeah i'm not sure the final score on it i don't have it in front of me uh, since I, I didn't know what your pick was going to be ahead of time but it's it, it's somewhere mid-pack i feel like it's a 14 no. 15 or something like that it, we said it was a sunday read i know that so it's it's yeah. in a certain range there uh my diamond in the rough and this is like this is my make good on, on starting the show with a rant against eric larson last week so uh this, this maybe he'll maybe uh maybe this will make it up to him if he's listening <laughs> uh but uh, you know one of my favorite stories as i've unblock us from twitter bitch despite my personal differences with the author and the creator uh you know savage dragon has long been one of my favorite books i've, I've read it since literally the first issue of the first miniseries in 1993 i've read every single issue since then and one of my favorite stories in that run is when savage dragon meets god quite fucking literally he goes to hell uh you get a uh, you get a uh, spawn crossover for 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 fun you know, there's really there really uh, i don't know if i which i like more uh like savage dragon playing off spawn as the straight man or off god and the devil as a straight man uh because you know he, he's just ha- the best part of this year um this uh excuse me man 
The best part of the story is that Dragon, the whole time, he has been sent to hell, but he does not believe he's been sent to hell because he's an atheist and doesn't believe in hell. So he just thinks he's having a weird dream and he's joking and making, you know, cracking jokes with Spawn, um, talking shit to the devil, even talking shit and having all these philosophical conversations with God and really just thinking he's asleep and having a weird dream the whole time. And it's just hilarious because he never breaks it. Like he, like Spawn gets so frustrated by it. Later, the devil gets equally frustrated by it. Uh, I mean, it's just, and then he has this like multi-page conversation with God. And it's just one of the most like, just turn off your brain and just fucking enjoy this stories. Cause it really is Eric Larson dialogue at its finest. It's all about the dialogue. Yeah. There's some action. They're battling like demons in hell or whatever, but it's all about the dialogue. And this is to this day, I've read this so many times. This is just one of my favorite like little stories in comics. So I, I can't recommend highly enough. It only ended up with an SC SPC 15. You gave it a seven. I gave it an eight, uh, but I fucking love it. Savage dragon meets God. We talked about it in, I don't know what episode, but uh, it got a, a uh, but it's, it's savage dragon number 30 to 31. If you want to go check it out, I think it's episode, oh, episode 75. Is when, we, when we talked about that one. What, what were your thoughts on that story? As, as much as we might not be happy with the man, he's, he's an incredible artist. He's an incredible, uh, incredible writer. Um, this was just such a funny, I'm saying this to you all as a politically right religious person who disagrees with Eric Larson a lot. This was a funny freaking book. I loved reading it. It was funny. I'm glad that you picked it as your diamond in the rough. This shows you how objective and fair we are. The man blocked us on Twitter, yet we still praise him for his talents. Absolutely. We are fair and balanced down the middle, as they say. Um, but Remzo, that being said, it is time to finally get in to our top six. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to name a story. You're going to do a recap of it. We'll alternate. I'll do a recap of it. We're not going to get too in depth in them. And then we'll have the debates. Then we'll try to separate them. How about that? Let's do it. Dun, 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 dun. We got Mark. Are you going to put some music behind this? Oh, probably not. Cause this is going to be a short turnaround edit, but okay, you can gonna, imagine gonna, your own. Music I'm going to have to imagine music. Okay. okay. Yeah. Everybody imagine uh, dramatic music right now, but you just want like a drum roll. I could probably do a drum. Roll. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. Right. Do it. Do it. I'll jump in. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to do the drum roll? I already did a drum roll. I, I can't, I can't do the drum roll for myself. All right. No, start over. Story. Start over. I'm going to go in chronological order. Da, 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 da. All right. Our first number, number 20, our first, <laughs> the first number 20, our first perfect ranked story, Nick Fury's secret war by Brian, Michael Bendis and Gabrielle Delato. Recap. Nick Fury's Secret War entails a post 9-11 limited series by Brian Michael Bendis in which Nick Fury recruits several of New York's street-level heroes, such as Spider-Man, Daredevil, Luke Cage, um, Wolverine, Black Widow, Captain America, onto a secret and un unassigned mission from the government to attack the, the capital of Doomstadt in Latveria. The whole thing goes wrong as the whole place ends up being basically leveled to the grounds by Nick Fury. And in order to evade his crimes, he erases the memories of all the heroes who took part in it. Only for some time later, their sins to go ahead and resurface. This post 9-11 uh, dr action drama really took readers out of the realm of fiction and made them question the reality of around them as we questioned foreign policy, the military industrial complex the war on terror and so much more all right 
We will circle back to that. I'm going to give you the next one and then I'm going to take the next three or four because I, because you brought up the next story as well. So yeah, you can take this next one. This is episode 26. This was Iron Man Extremis by Warren Ellis and Adi Granov. And this is the artist. One story of Iron Man rules them all. It was the soft mid 2000s reboot of Iron Man by scribe Warren Ellis, in which he basically updated the 1960s Vietnam era Tony Stark origin and brought it into the realm of Afghanistan. We go ahead and see, um, you know, changing technology, cha- changing cultures. Where does Tony Stark find himself in this new world? Is he really a hero? He'll have to answer that as he comes up against a villain named Mal using a secret extremist formula created by an old flame of his. This book not only reinvigorated Iron Man for the 21st century, but laid the groundwork for Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark in the MCU. If there's one book you need to read to get anyone into Iron Man, I can't think of anything other than Iron Man Extremist. All right, next up to get a perfect score. This one is by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. This is a series called Marvels. We talked about it in episode 37 and this and the next series we're going to talk about. I look at them as bookends in a way, even though they take place in different universes. But this is basically, look, if Alex Ross is involved, he's only done a few stories where he's ever been the full artist. It's getting a five on the art. There's just no way way to to go about it otherwise. But this is just an incredible look. No living being has the right to criticize Alex Ross. Yes, I agree. There's an incredible look at the origins of the Marvel Universe through a photographer. I think his name was Phil Sheldon. Does that sound right? It does sound right to me. And uh, yeah, we're basically learning. We're seeing many historic. uh, We go decade by decade and see many historic moments in the Marvel Universe. The return of Captain America. Um, We see the death of Gwen Stacy. All through the eyes of this street level photographer and journalist and it comes across very genuine it comes it feels like it would feel like you think it would feel if this was really happening in those years it feels very realistic even though we're dealing with all this super heroic stuff and it is simply fucking beautiful that's marvels bam next up very similar description but different time and different company this is kingdom come Talked about in episode 42. It is a miniseries by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Again, I don't need to say anything about Alex Ross. He's fucking flawless, perfect, beautiful painter, a true artist, the best. You are not allowed to say anything bad about him. And Mark Wade, nobody. I, I might even say, I, I, it, I'm i not going to say it now definitively, but if Mark Wade is not the best superhero writer of all time, he's in the top five. I, I just he, don't. He's truly, he, him, him and Robert Kirkman, and and McFarlane and Liefeld, uh, I'm not saying they're all similar, but what I am saying he's part of a league of artists who grew up with comic books, who loved comic books and everything. You're talking about Ross now. I'm talking about Ross. Okay, yeah. Uh, Ross and Wade. Or, or are we talking about artists or are we talking about writer? Well, Ross is the artist and, and Wade's the writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I they're mean, both I amazing. Think, so, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they, 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 are, they, are the, they, they are the fans who are reading this when comic books were still really obscure. And this is them taking it to a whole nother level, both as artists and writers. Indeed. So, oh, yeah. But Kingdom Come uh, takes place instead of the origins of the universe. It takes place in the dystopian future of the DC universe where our current heroes are kind of older. Most of them have sort of retired or are hiding somewhere. And this new breed of heroes are a lot, not even heroes. They're just like super powered. Uh, The soups, I guess they call them, are a lot more violent. Uh, The heroes and the villains alike are a lot more violent. And there's just kind of devastation and destruction everywhere. But eventually Superman comes out of retirement and dramatically well 
saves the day. That's what's great about the story. It doesn't necessarily end in a, a quote, happy ending. It just has an ending. In fact, you might call the ending very far from happy. So uh, this is just a fantastic, fantastic story with art from the number one best comic book artist of the modern era, I might say. I mean, he needs to be in his own category, really. You can't even compare him to the, the Liefelds, the McFarlanes, because he, he, he is, he, he's, he's on, he, he's like on Mount Olympus, and they're like in the demigod category. They're on Mount Olympus, and he's on some other thing in space that's like, you know, it's just yeah. like, it's a totally different uh, world there. He is, he's like Leonardo da Vinci in our lifetime. Indeed. Yeah, I, and only you can buy them for a lot cheaper. Um, yeah. The next one we looked at in episode 81. Maybe you can take this one. This is the Immortal Hulk. This is just looking at the first, I believe, five issues. Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Immortal Hulk brought more comic curious people into reading modern comics in the last five, six years than any other title I can describe. Above that, it went ahead and took the Hulk, who had been waning in popularity and sales for Marvel Comics for over two decades, and it put him as one of their leading books. Not just one of Marvel's leading books, but one of the top performing titles several years running. We're talking about Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk, which brings that Bixby-era mystery and sci-fi horror that originally crafted the mythos of the Hulk and brings it into our modern era. It's part Twilight Zone, part monster movie. It's horror story with all the drama and intrigue with some laughter in between. It has redefined the Hulk mythos going forward and no one's been able to hold a candlestick to it since. I'm talking about you, Donnie Cates. Um, This was a fantastic, fantastic run. Indeed. Lastly, well, maybe not leastly, definitely not leastly, Lastly, we're going to look at Moon Knight from episode 89. This is not the origin of Moon Knight episode, which we also did. This is the Jeff Lemire, Greg Smallwood Moon Knight, which definitely had a large inspiration on the Moon Knight TV series. My recap of this one, Moon Knight finds himself in an insane asylum, or does he? Or is he being manipulated by the god Khonshu? And this is the question that is on the reader's minds the entire series as Mark Spector slash Jake Lockley slash uh, what's the other one? Stephen Grant uh, make their way through a incredible uh, array of gods and godlike beings, uh, familiar faces from the past, as well as more than anything else, possibly his own mind. This is an incredible story. Uh, this revitalized my interest in Moon Knight. This is, came out a couple years after I started getting back into comics. I had never gotten too much into Moon Knight, but I had gotten into Jeff Lemire. I'd read a lot of his Bloodshot stuff, so I saw him on Moon Knight. I said I. I'm reading that and I read that whole run. It is absolutely phenomenal. And as is always the case um, with these stories, the reason they become tens and perfect SPC twenties is not just the perfect story. Cause there are others. There are many others that had like a five for the writing, but the art just fell short a little bit. Um, the, the art of Greg Smallwood cannot be downplayed here. The art is perfect. It's not just amazing art. It's perfect for the story. It is a case where the writer and artist, I can't imagine them doing this with, with any, anybody right with any other combination i mean they just gelled so perfectly to give this story such a unique vibe and really i mean whether you were a long time new because when i first read this i was not a long time moon knight fan i didn't know a lot about the character and i loved it then i learned more about new moon knight read some of the backstories learned more about the 70s moon knight and the different personalities which are really just uh, you know pseudonyms more than personalities and now jeff lemire sort of takes that mythos and flips it on its head and so it's it's very rewarding for for longtime moon knight fans because there's so much in there but you could have never picked up a moon knight as i had not and enjoy it just as much uh so that is why this thing got a perfect 
20 as well. So this is the this is the hard part here. Is how do we how do we even do this? Now, first of all, are you surprised by how I don't know. I guess you could say mainstream the top six arcs. We have looked at a lot of more obscure stuff, even like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, Neil Gaiman's Sandman stuff that in my mind I would think would would rate higher. But it's always just something little. So, you know, those stories, for whatever reason, at least the ones that we looked at came just short in one category or another. But but these are just perfect. And it's interesting to me that they are all all of these perfect ones do come from the big two. I'm not completely surprised but i mean one thing really uh became evident as we were going through the creative teams for these books who are some of the people we're looking at we're looking at brian michael bendis back when he was good we're looking at um pre-riri uh yeah pre-riri pre-riri. yeah pre-riri uh we're looking at um al ewing mark wade freaking uh, Warren Ellis. I mean, these are writers who have defined many of the characters that they've touched, whether they were obscure, like, you know, Jessica Jones or Brian Michael Bendis, or whether they were, you know, characters that everyone had already known, like a Nick Fury, like a Captain America, like a Spider-Man. So that that doesn't surprise me. And then when we consider uh, the artwork of some of these folks, I mean, the fact that Alex Ross is on anyone's team could make even the worst book have a 10 for the art. So, uh, you know, I look at less of the individual stories. And I think what this really shows is that when you pair the right writer with the right artist, and this is why a lot of the times where I've criticized books that have had the same writer and the same artist as missing something, This is when you get the best of both. This is when you put the readers and the fans first and you go ahead and produce an amazing story. So I think it's less about the characters individually. I think it's less about um, who publishes them and the tones and eras that they come from. I think it has more to do with the fact that this is a this is a dream team of writers and artists right here. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way to sum it up. That is what makes these books the perfect books. And I guess it makes sense that the big two you know, you're going to get even just more writers, writers and artists in general, but they're going to maybe have the resources to to find these talents and combine them in the right way. Or maybe it's just, it just comes down to luck. Sometimes it just comes down to the right artists having to be paired with the right writer, the right writer. Um, but either way, that is what happened in all of these cases. Whereas some of the stories where I might even, if we were just looking at stories alone, I might rank some of the stories that we've looked at higher. Like I might like a personal favorite of mine. Like I probably would put, would put Alan Moore's swamp thing above a lot of this stuff, but we're talking about the full package here. And and I, I love the art in that too, but I, you know, I don't even remember why I didn't get a per, uh, you know perfect score for me. But there was a reason. And the point is to really get the, the perfection on both sides and have them synergize in a certain way. Like that's when you get a book that it's not just a great writer and an, and a great artist. It's a great writer and a great artist that are the perfect match for that story. So it's really a lot of things that have to come together. Um, that being said. I don't know where to start here. Why don't we each just toss out like the one that we would, our gut instinct is that we would put outside the top five and see if we can go from there. So I would, I would put Immortal Hulk out. Honestly, that's, that's the one I was going to say too. Yeah. Yeah. So Immortal Hulk is number six. It's not easy, but it's kind of easy. Um, And I I can't even say why. Um, Maybe just because that's more, I, I think the one complaint I might have about Al Ewing is that it takes him a long time to get to things. And it took him 50 issues to finish this story. And that's legit. I mean, this is one continuous story for 50 issues. Um, So it might be less of an entry point or you need a little more commitment. Whereas a lot of this other stuff, pretty much all this other stuff, even that Lemire run is 25 issues. We just looked at the first five setting that whole thing up, but that still did feel like a complete story on its own. Whereas the immortal Hulk story, it was for, it was five issues of a story 
Yeah, I mean, it felt a little truncated after like issue two or three because it almost felt like they were doing something completely different. It felt more anthology and less succinct story. It's not until like the last couple issues of that first run we did where you're like, oh, now we know where all this is leading to. Yeah. So whereas the others, it's very, it's very linear. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's so we don't need to argue about that one. So Moon Knight. I mean, uh, Immortal Hulk is officially the the first five issues, I should say. Uh, you know, if we were looking at the whole run together, that might be a different thing. But this is really just looking at these specific issues that we looked at. Uh, those are the number sixth ranked SPC story of all time as of right now. All right. So number five, should we do the same thing? Just toss out one that we think would be five? Because I, I already have, I think I have my top yeah. three. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and go ahead and throw, go ahead and throw your number five. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of two. This is hard. This is really hard. Mm-hmm. We're doing this live, as you can tell, folks. Uh, we, I, I did not decide this ahead of time. I like to work the, the tension. I like is to work real. this stuff out live in front of Ramzo. I'm gonna say this is tough. I'm gonna say Extremis. Really? It's close. It was between Extremis and Moon Knight. I, I would say I would say Moon Knight. If you're gonna say Moon Knight, I'll go with it because it, it was it was one or the other. So yeah. I will I will cede to you. Since I don't, I'm not feeling so strongly about it. But why? Why do you want to put Moon Knight just outside, or not outside, but at five instead of higher? Moon Knight didn't do as much to really refurbish the character of Tony Stark as much as Lemire did with Moon Knight. Moon Knight was still coming out of a period of some popularity, whereas when Ellis went ahead and took charge of the Invincible Iron Man, uh, you know, first volume of books, that was really coming out of nowhere. No one really knew what to expect. The The importance of that has done more than I think um, what, what Lemire did for. This came out before the Iron Man movie, right? Oh yeah, by yeah, okay. like five years. Because this version of Iron Man is is kind of more of the Tony Stark we see. Yeah, so this is a huge yeah. cultural influence. Yeah. So I mean, I, I would, I would, I would, I would say, and since we're already kind of talking about it, I would say so. Mortal Hulk is six. Moon Knight five. is five. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Moon Knight is five. I would put Iron Man Extremis as four. I think that is. Uh, I think that's the right spot. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I agree with you now that I think about it. Like, just. This is the point where we got to look at the, I guess, the weight of the of the book. The weight of the book is this did more for Iron Man, which did more for Marvel than what Lemire did for Moon Knight. What Lemire did for Moon Knight was and we didn't cover it in the show, but he actually picked up a lot from Warren Ellis, who had really brought him back, I think, three, four years prior. Yeah. So Lemire is doing a great job. He really added to it and gave a story which is impactful, especially when you look at the show. But he didn't do as much groundwork as what Ellis did for Tony Stark. It's ironic, too, because Ellis had laid a lot of that groundwork of the, the psyche aspect of, of, uh, Moon, of Knight. Moon Knight. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, you know, he uh, Lemire is kind of building on Ellis, whereas Ellis is, is man, you could say he, in, in many ways, Ellis revitalized more so Iron Man in the pop culture sense, but he revitalized both these characters, really. Uh, and so, I mean... His work is not to be uh, not to be underrated or understated, and I think we'll have to look at that closer at that Warren Ellis Moon Knight run at some point. But yeah, I will agree yeah. with you. I think for the the cultural impact and what it did for the character, because um, like people don't realize. I mean, yes, he was always one of the Avengers, and uh, oftentimes he was the financier. But Iron Man was just never a big character in Marvel. He was just kind of like just another like another side character um, until a Warren Ellis made him cool in the comics, and then shortly after that when 
you know, uh, when Robert Downey Jr. made him cool in the movies, but you couldn't really have one without the other. So I think for the historical uh, precedence here, Extremis uh, lands at number four appropriately. Now we get to the top three. Now, I, I think to me, it's kind of obvious, but I could see, I don't know, I could see you thinking differently than me. So why don't you just put out what you think your three should be? And we'll see if we're on the same wavelength. Ah, uh, my three. I'll start at number one down to three. Well, I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and start with my third. Yeah, my start third with three. Is, let's let's build a okay. suspense. <laughs> okay, Marvels. Interesting. Number two, okay. Kingdom Come. Interesting. And number one, Nick, uh, Secret War. Okay, so we're definitely ranked different, but it's going to make our final rankings a lot easier, I think, in the end. So, see, I was I was debating kind of marvels and kingdom come as my one and one a um but you know part part of this is too like you this was secret war is one of the first stories you read as a comic book fan that got you really into comics these both came out not they weren't the first stories i read but they were the first oh my god if i if i was ranking stories at the time they would have been my oh my god this is a 10 you know they were the first stories that just blew me out of the water it's not a coincidence that they are both you know they both have the art of alex ross um and um, Wade and Busiek, I think are two of the best writers, uh, two of the best heroes. I mean, I mentioned Wade earlier, but Busiek, I mean, his Avengers, um, any book you put him on any superhero book, like it's going to be written. You're going to at, at worst get a good, uh, good characterization, great dialogue and interesting story. You're never going to get garbage from, from either of these guys. Um, really my, okay. So this is going to be interesting. So you would have, okay. If you would have secret war at one and I would potentially have it at three, we could probably consensus put it at two, but then the question comes down to, it really just comes down to what I rank higher Marvels or kingdom come. And you had Marvels a little bit lower. You had at three. I had Marvels at three. I had kingdom come at two. So if we're going to agree, which makes sense, let's, let's go ahead and put secret war by Brian, Michael Bendis art by Gabrielle Delato at number two. Then we're really arguing for that for that one and three spot, as you as you said. So well, I, I don't think we have to, yeah. to argue much higher because I think I do fall with Kingdom Come as my number one, and you had Marvels as your number three. So I, I'm putting Marvels as my number two. So if my Mar- if Marvels is my two, and it's your three, I think that makes it easy to call it our number three, as opposed to. Well, I mean, it depends on how far, hard I wanted to fight to get it at number two, you know. But um, because I. I but if you I had to seed. launch one book in a, in, in, into space for aliens who like comic books and read English, which book would you throw up there? Marvels or Kingdom Come? Kingdom Come. Yeah, exactly. That's number one. All right. Well, there you go. Kingdom Come is our number one ranked story of all time, all time being the 100 episodes of this podcast. Uh, so to recap... Number six, all time, the first five issues of Al Ewing and Joe Bennett's Immortal Hulk. Number five, Moon Knight by Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood. First five issues there. Uh, Iron Man Extremis by Warren Ellis and Addy Granov. Marvels by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross at number three. Kingdom Come. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I messed up. I almost put, put yours in there. Uh, Nick Fury's Secret War by Brian Michael Bendis and Gabrielle Delato at number two. And Kingdom Come by Mark Weed and Alex Ross. Final ranking number one, our best story of all time. How do you feel about that? That final uh, about that, Kingdom Come landing there, even though you had it at, at your number two, I think you said. Yeah, I'm, I, that that feels very fair. Well, fair is what we strive for. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that I think this is. I think the I, I'm very happy with this outcome. Yeah, I, I really felt at the end when even just glancing, I felt like to me it was going to kind of come down to Marvels or Kingdom Come, and I love Marvels. I think it's great, but when I think about 
if I'm going to randomly read one of these, which one I'm, is it going to be like, which one am I just going to instinctively grab? And it's going to be kingdom come because it's just cool and badass and epic and beautiful and amazing. And you could argue Marvel's if it fits all those descriptions too, because it does. But you know, when we're, we're, when we're talking about this high on the mountain, it's, it just comes down to nitpicking and personal preference. There's no other way to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, you could, you could even say that on a different day, I would have a different outcome, but I feel pretty consistent that I would still place kingdom come above Marvel's. All right. Yeah. I mean, I would too. And we have, so there you go. That is our ranking. And uh, you know, if any of you are either newer listeners or older listeners who look, I get it. You don't always catch every episode of every podcast. We like to think our listeners are different and you never miss anything. But if we've talked about anything on, on the show that you haven't read, especially in our top six, I mean, if you haven't read our top six or uh, or our, even our honorable mentions, I would say like these are great places to start if you're just getting into fanhood or if there are stories that you miss. These are all must reads. So I will link to all the episodes uh, in today's show notes, which you can find over at secondprintcomics.com. I will link to everything we discussed and uh, hopefully send a few of you on a, a little bit more of a deep dive. Well, this is uh, there's a big moment. Not many it. shows make it to episode 100. It's true. Not many shows put as much work into uh, the 100th episode as as uh, Mark has, especially. This this whole idea was really his his uh, brainchild. So kudos to you, Mark. I did do a lot of back. This, this is when I was like, man, I wish we kept track of this the whole time because <laughs> I did a lot of back listening, uh, really just skipping to the last 10 minutes. But sometimes it's like, Sometimes we get to the scores with two minutes left. Sometimes we get to the scores with 14 minutes left and we're still talking about others. So it's like, it's, it's, it's often was hard to track down exactly where we talked about the scores, uh, but it was fun too. It was fun to listen back and hear some burled uh, banter and such. So I, I have no regrets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's part of the joy of the show. We never thought we'd be do- dedicating an entire month to comic book deaths or an <laughs> entire month just to the crisis event or even what we do every October where we jump into, you know, horror and Halloween themed episodes. I mean, a lot of this stuff comes really off the cuff, but it's uh, it's really just the joy of the show and the joy of the community that we've been able to get. Really, all of you who listen, download, share with friends, our patrons, um, all of you make it just so much fun and we hope to you know be doing this for another hundred episodes so that's all she wrote indeed so we will see you all with the brand spanking new this is going to be like a marvel thing the all new all different second print comics next week with episode 101 where it's all new it's all heck you could even imagine new numbering should we start new numbering should we do a new it's a new ultimate <laughs> yeah We'll do, we should do new numbering next week and then also do legacy numbering. So next uh, next episode will be SPC number one, but legacy number 101. 101. Um, that's just a joke. We will, keep, <laughs> we, will, we, will, we will keep the legacy numbering, but uh, you'll get a brand new show a week, uh, not a week, but uh, the Friday after next Wednesday, if that's not complicated. A complicated Shazam. enough way to put it. That being said, Remzo, I only have one more request. I think you know what it is. It's for everyone out there to do us a favor and read comics and change, and change the world. The world. Good night, America. Adios. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.